And I'm just so lucky and fortunate to do something that I love every every minute of my life. You know, just being at work, working long hours. You know, the, even even to that's even even that's fun for me. The the culture in the kitchen, um, learning different trends and styles of food, or getting inspired from other restaurants or eating out. Everything about it, I just love it. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. On a few occasions, we've talked how careers in the hospitality industry can take you all over the globe, from a small regional town to the best restaurants in the world, in the biggest and most dynamic cities too. But what's it like being so far from home when a pandemic cuts off a means to travel and connect? Budelo is the executive chef of Marquis Caviar and Husso in New York City, United States. Buddha, how are you? Yeah, good mate. How are you? How are you? Good, thanks. What's it like uh, in New York at the moment? Yeah, in New York, it's pretty good. Um, well, you know, I can't say so much for the United States, but uh, New York's uh, it's got a, the vaccination rates going really well, um, and then enforcing a lot of uh, rules. So everything's open. Uh, there's no restrictions as of yet. Um, well, there's restrictions, but not nothing to. Um, nothing too strict so you know it's great uh to be out and about again um you know uh got vaccinated had covid so um yeah just 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 enjoying my time um in in new york uh you know it's such a lively place it it never seems to be a place that dies what was it like um experiencing you said you mentioned that you had covid what was it like for you uh, COVID, COVID was pretty, pretty hard on myself. Um, but, um, you know, as, as far as it being really super contagious, uh, my wife, I was actually, um, heading back to Australia to see her family, uh, a week before and I had, uh, got, gotten COVID and we lived in a small New York apartment and she managed to not get it at all. <laughs> so that was a, that was uh that was really quite, in- <laughs> that's really quite interesting, uh, to, to see, you know, and she had to go through, uh, multiple tests to get back into Australia and she still hasn't had COVID yet. So, um, yeah, that's an interesting COVID story, but yeah, it was a, it was a, it was not, it was not, nice i've definitely been that ill before but um the, the worst part was losing your taste and smell I, I lost that for uh three days so that that was that was really good um i know a lot of people that it's taken about six months for them to get their taste and smell back to like 70 percent. so um as a chef it was quite depressing um not being able to uh, taste and smell What's the hospitality sector there like at the moment and, and the operations that you run? Um, is, it, is it opened up and vibrant again? Yeah, so uh, New York dining is going back to 100% capacity. The rule um, that they made uh, a couple of weeks ago was that everyone who dines must have a proof of a vaccination uh, or, or a negative COVID test. So that's something that we have to uh, check upon arrival for any indoor dining uh and and that's what those are those are the sort of things that are happening right now yeah you're originally from far north queensland in australia um up in port douglas uh, what was food like for you growing up as a kid uh food for me was actually quite spectacular my dad cooked 
seven days a week um, for, um, until I left when I was 17 years old. So growing up as a kid, I would always have Chinese food, but my dad will just cook out some cook some of the most spectacular stuff. It was never repeated. Um, and it was just, you know, he just cooks such good food. And I think a lot of a lot of my success in um, creating dishes is just searching for that flavor that he would um, bring food to and try and uh, replicate it. Your uh, parents had a Chinese restaurant called Jade Inn, which you worked in as a young age. Tell, tell us about that restaurant and, and what it was like working with your family. Yeah, of course. So um, as a young kid, I was, you know, my parents were working seven days a week and we had a babysitter. I didn't get on with the babysitter too much. So um, so I said to my mom when I was like uh, about eight years old, I said, look, don't need a babysitter. I'm going to cook. I'm going to make my own lunches and don't worry about that. I'll look after myself. So I grew up really fast because I didn't want a babysitter. Um, and then after that happened, um, I actually um, wanted to see my parents more. So I started offering to work at as, as a, as a, like a little junior, junior waiter, as I would say, probably about the age of nine. Um, it was really fun for me at the time, just running food out to, you know, the tables, maybe go back to the, um, back of the, you know, there's like a room where we had like a TV and we would just go watch some TV and then run food and stuff like that. It was really fun. And my brother also was a part of it as well. He's three years older than me. And then, yeah, it was just, um, I eventually um, went into the kitchen. Um, my dad um, invited me to flip an omelette, and um, I, I was looking from outside the kitchen. He still remembers the moment, and um, he told me to come in and you know flip it. And I said, "I'm not going to be able to flip this." I'm like, you know, 12 years old, like I can't do this. He's like, "Just flip it." And I was like, "All right." So I flipped it. It landed perfectly, and then ever since then, you couldn't get me out of the kitchen. So um, I, I loved it. Yeah, uh, your fr- your brothers, your father's siblings uh, were many of them were chefs as well. Uh, is there any sort of uh, feasts that you remember um, or dishes that you can tell us about that that speak of that time with your family with growing up? Of course. So you know, um, my dad was an excellent chef. He's you know, um, he cooked a lot of um, amazing Cantonese food. He had a we had a good variety. He started um, cooking in Kowloon in Hong Kong, um, but his his repertoire he extended. He, he also was trained classically French, um, but then moved on to. Um, you know, going to Australia and obviously having to learn how to make a dim sim because <laughs> that does not exist in, in Hong Kong, um, you know, just like the Australian classics as well. But um, in terms of family, you know, uh, like it's a, uh, it's a huge family, um, 11, 11 brothers and sisters um, from the immediate family. He also has uh, five half-brothers and sisters, so 16 in total. But from the immediate 11 uh, brothers and sisters, there's eight boys and all of them are chefs apart from one. Um, the other one's a Kung Fu master. So, um, But all the chefs have like these amazing special like dishes. It's like this one dish that, you know, will just stand out. Recently, before I went to New York, I, I went to go meet up with one of the older brothers, um, and he has his uh, his specialty is um, offal noodle soup. It's called um, aljap. So it is um, it was absolutely incredible to eat it. 
you eventually uh, stopped working at your parents' restaurant and went out and did an apprenticeship. What was what was it like stepping into a commercial kitchen compared to what you had known? Um, well, you know, I had this. It might have been from dad's um, passion, but for me, cooking was just something that I just always loved. And then just growing up, and then uh, just just as I, as I kept on going in the kitchen and just going into a commercial kitchen, um, it was at the age of fourteen I did my school based apprenticeship. I loved it. You know, I was just, I was just learning different things. You know, I learned so much about Cantonese cuisine and Chinese cuisine with my father, but, um, you know, just learning like simple, simple things like buffets, production, fine dining. Um, you know, I, I, I can't stress enough about, you know, starting in a hotel is so beneficial for a chef as an apprentice. It's just, covers every single aspect of cooking and shows you bulk cooking, fine dining, you know, learn, you learn how to make a variety of different sandwiches. Like it's so important. Learn how to poach an egg, fry an egg, scramble egg, you know, uh, you work breakfast, dinner. So yeah, it was, it was very, it was, it was an eye opener and I loved it. You've uh, won many accolades and really climbed the, the ladder of kitchens very quickly in your career. You made a move, to Melbourne early on. Tell us about those early days and working with Raymond Cobholdy. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, as soon as I uh, graduated from high school, I got the first trip down to Melbourne because, you know, the whole rave back then was Voodamond and, you know, that was back in Normandy Chambers and everyone was, you know, the the Melbourne food scene was going crazy. So I would, I would um throw in my resumes out to every single restaurant that I could find uh, that was had it. I got rejected by so many restaurants. Um, but I then eventually got a job at a, um, at a two hat restaurant called Mateo's. And then, um, yeah, I got the job there and Raymond was in the kitchen at the time. And, you know, he, he saw something in me, um, you know, he, and then he just uh, told me, you know, one day he's like, you know, you're going to, you're going to come with me and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take you under my wing sort of a thing. Uh, and then, yeah, as soon as he opened up a restaurant called Heron Grace, um, I took the first opportunity to go work with him. And, you know, Raymond is a, you know, um, most people in the industry will know that he's very old school. Um, he can be very direct in, in the way that he, that he, that he wants things, but working for Raymond, I loved it. It was, you know, everything he taught me was just, you know, everything was just so particular and so precise. It was just like getting this real old school European training, um, that in Melbourne, um, and, you know, and a lot of chefs that you go work with or, you know, with these, with bigger names, you probably won't get to work side by side with these people, you know, um, in most of these big kitchens. But I was very fortunate to work right next to Raymond, understand his creativity process, understand how to develop good sauces and braisings and, and all the and all the good things that he had. He had a lot he had when he did Phoenix and he had a, a, a an extraordinary um, team underneath him. And to think that, you know, I got to work one on one with him it was it was absolutely amazing. You became the head chef at Heron Grace at a young age of just 19. Do, do you have any stories of the challenges of that sort of pressure at so young? Yeah, so I at, at the age of 19, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. 
but it was kind of um it's kind of how it just ended up happening uh, a lot of the head chefs uh you know were walking out resigned and it just became a um a rotating you know it revolving door of just different um head chefs so i i said to raymond look i've been here long enough you know should we have a crack at it and let me try and run the kitchen because you know I've, I've stayed here long enough and um you know he wanted to give it a go and we, we did it you know we I, I was his head chef for two years um and yeah it was just you know he, he, was, a, he was a father figure to me he would um you know drive me home from work he'll wait in the office to the end of the night drive me home you know and he'll and he'll give me tell me stories about cooking and you know what what do i need to work on and just just it's very inspirational and i th- and i feel very fortunate uh, to have that sort of one-on-one connection with a with 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 raymond like that so um yeah it was, it was i'm very thankful for that time you ventured over to the uk at a young age as well where you won the gordon ramsay excellence award what, what did you take away from working in the uk the um yeah, so after working for Raymond, um, I said I needed to go do the traveling thing. That seemed to be like the you know the the way to go, and that's how I was feeling. So I went to I went to go uh, to London because that was a very easy visa process. And you know I said, well, well you know I'm going to apply for all these restaurants. And I said, you know what, I may as well go for the top. So I went for restaurant Gordon Ramsay, and yeah, it was definitely <laughs> definitely. Um, the most challenging um, part of my career, for sure, it was, and it was also also probably the most rewarding um, part of my career. Uh, it was it was a very intense kitchen. Um, I'm not sure what it's like nowadays. Um, I'm sure it's still quite intense, but it was it was uh, you you you. you when you go there and then when you come out, you're a complete different chef. If you stay there long enough and see and see how they run things and see how they push you and stuff like that, I've, I probably have never reached this sort of um, advancement into my career. Just uh, working there for, for, for the time that I did is like every day was two days opposed to one. So, you know, you're getting, you, it just excels, excels you and your skills. You eventually came back to Australia where you returned to a restaurant where um, all th- everything started for you at Mateo's. Um, tell us about your role there because you're cooking different food and it won some serious accolades in your time. Yeah, so I, yeah, I did the whole full circle um, I got a job offer at the um, at Mateo's, and it was something that I couldn't really refuse at the time. It was um, something you know not a lot of people would probably want to give a 24 year old a head chef role of such a um, such a, a notable restaurant, but you know Mateo did. So I did. Um, so I ran the restaurant. It was it was very challenging. It was my first. Um, time having to run that restaurant i've worked in it before but i've never ran it before and it was you know they mateo's does 200 over covers um it's a we don't we can't fit that many people in the kitchen so it really makes you think you know you can do the best food but how can you do the food for that many people um and make sure everything's hot coming out at the same time and a hold a very high standard so 
it was something that I've never learned before. But, you know, given that I was thrown into a bit of a deep end, I managed to swim out of it. Um, I was very happy with all the f- food that was coming out of there. Um, managed to make it into a couple of um, top 50 lists and, and stuff like that. Uh, we kept our, fir- our two hats in the first year. So, you know, it was, it was, it was a very every, – everything that I have done is just um, – I've always said that, like, if I've um, every job that I've ever done, I've always uh, always thought about quitting. But you know, I never quit. Um, but when you get that feeling of wanting to quit, that's probably that's probably because you actually got the right job that you want because it's pushed you so far um, to to the point where you actually want to leave. But when you overcome it, you know, the, the the rewards are there. You mentioned that you were probably be, probably a bit young to be head chef at 19 at Heron Grace, but the experience over at Gordon Ramsay sort of changed you and then you became the head chef at Mateo's. In what ways were you different after leaving Gordon Ramsay and getting you ready for this new head chef role at that time? Uh, like I said, you know, uh, Gordon Ramsay's was a was a kitchen that really excelled me in my career um they they broke me down completely and then reshaped me again um but all for the good you know uh in that time that i was doing the excellence award i I got to have one-on-one time with the senior team and 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 learn how to create food and um really get into their mind they you know did some one-on-one training with me um to to really focus on how i can progress but the you, you know you, coming from that kitchen is just so much uh discipline and and just like not just only disciplining others or you the, the most important one was di- learning how to discipline yourself and i think when you become a head chef and no one else is really on top of you to discipline you that's where they've taught you self discipline you know make sure that you keep your standards make sure that you um that you're always on top of yourself and make sure it's not right that you don't do it because now you're in charge. No, no one's really on top to tell you this is right or wrong. So I feel like that's the thing that I learned the most coming out of there. How did you end up in New York? So um, on my time off at Mateo's, I, um, my friend that I worked with, uh, Alan Stewart, who was working at Restaurant Gordon Ramsay at the time, He's been traveling around the world and and he was at 11 Manson Park at the time and um, I messaged him and just becoming a head chef, you know, it's it's like in such, such a young age, your repertoire is not really built yet. So I, I really wanted to just go out there, you know, I was learning my creativity skills and I was, I was doing really well. And But I thought, how can I, how can I keep improving myself? Because there's no real chefs here training me. So I said, well, I'm going to go do, do a stage on my time off during Christmas and New Year's. So I um, messaged, messaged my friend and he said that he got me a stage at Lev Madsen Park. Um, um, at Lev Madsen Park, you either get a choice of cooking it well not a choice but they either give you an omelet to cook or a dish and i cooked the dish for them after the dish they pulled me into the dry store and said look not sure what you're doing here not sure if you're looking for a job but we would love to have you on the team and then uh they won number one restaurant after they've already offered it to me and i said to my wife like look if if I ask them for a job 
and they say yes, then we then I'll definitely go because the resumes must be piling because they just won number one restaurant in the world and so on. And, um, you know, this is like the hottest restaurant. And if they accept me, then it must be a sign. And, yeah, they did. Uh, within hours of sending my email, they said, um, you know, we'll love to employ you. So that's, how I, that's why I'm in New York. Tell us about working in the kitchen at 11 Madison Park. What, what was different to what you had experienced previously? Um, so the American kitchen works um, differently to European styles. It's actually uh, 11 Madison Park. You would only, as a cook, you would... Uh, you have to stick, try and stick to your eight hours. Everyone's paid by the hour. Everyone clocks in. Um, everyone clocks out. Um, so that was very interesting in a way because I've never probably worked uh, in a kitchen where you, um, where you work eight hours and you can leave. But it was also a very intense eight hours. There's a lot of things that um, they'll require you to get done. And, you know, that's why they're kind of like the strongest move up and, um, so that's why, uh, that's, a, that's a little bit of a difference that they have, have there, but working there in general, it was probably, you know, your idea of a perfect kitchen. It's everyone's just the, the culture is just so beautiful there. Um, there just like everything that they go, that they do is just right. It's just everything's clean even like they fold their dockets to these perfect squares as they spike it um everything your uniform has to be immaculate you know the floor the floor can't be dirty at all uh it's just all these small details um that they do that they do there it's just you know it's it's admirable admirable for it's it's beautiful while working in the kitchen there, you won the 11 Madison Park cook battle. Can you tell us how you won and what you cooked? Yeah, so um, like every season, they require every cook as a compulsory thing to um, come up with a dish. And that's another thing that I loved about the culture is that not a lot of kitchens involve a lot of cooks to come up with ideas, especially not the number one restaurant in the world. They kind of rely on their senior team and everyone just does their thing. But in involving people into um, creativity and exercising their brain is so important and I loved it. So um, I managed to, out of the four seasons that I did, um, do pretty high Um come at least like third or second uh, third or second in the um in the competitions but one of them I did win it was a um it was a winter course it was a cheese course that I ended up doing it was a baked cheese it was supposed to look like a cheese it, it had like a um a skin of um of milk on top that's been dehydrated so it looks like a brie but it it, it was actually a gelatin set fondue that was made from three new local New York cheeses that make the perfect fondue and it was um, baked at the table so we had a copper pan that, that then got lit on fire with pine needles around it and we'll bake the cheese on the table um, and for five minutes and then a server will come back out that will mix the cheese and it's a perfect non there's no like any sediment or anything it's perfectly um, um, yeah, perfect fondue consistency, and then that will get uh, poured over a a brioche, tar- uh, a French savory French toast that's been dredged in mustard and egg, 
with a pear compote and it just gets that fondue just goes over the bread. So yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing to be a part of, um, be a part of that. You know, you look at the books, the books are amazing and just being able to work there, but not only work there, but also get addition to the menu and have everyone eat your, eat your food at that restaurant. It was just unbelievable. How has being in New York changed your outlook on food? Um, New York's changed me in a, in a lot of ways. It's just I've been seeing – I've been really taking for granted really nice-tasting produce in Australia. We're very lucky to have amazing produce. Sometimes it's a little bit harder to source in New York, um, but uh, when you find – great tasting peaches or really beautiful strawberries from Pennsylvania. Uh, you, you just, you just fall in love with, um, the connection of really good tasting produce. Um, it's, it's a big city. So it's, you know, there's a lot of, uh, mass production, but when you find these single, uh, small producers, it's like, it's like the caviar of, you know, the, that fruit. And it's, it's absolutely amazing to find and discover. Manhattan and other boroughs of New York are such a melting pot of cultures and food. Have you been able to get out and explore? Yes, uh, I've, I've been able to eat at most of the, um, the Michelin star establishments in New York, um, Brooklyn as well. Uh, but yeah, Manhattan and Brooklyn they have amazing. They have an amazing food scene. Um, constantly getting inspired. A lot of restaurants opening. Um, yeah, it's just also not only the, the fine dining part of it, but learning a lot about their culture, you know, downtown Brooklyn, Chinatown is not somewhere that's super explored, but they have a really good yum cha scene there. Um, flushing also very good with Asian food, but you know, you go to Elmhurst and the Indian food spectacular. There's actually a really good Indian place underneath, a, um, an Indian temple, uh, yeah, it's a, it's just like a staff canteen. It's just a canteen downstairs, but uh, some of the best Indian food that you'll find in New York is underneath this temple. So it's a lot of hidden gems out there. These days, you're the executive chef of Marky's Caviar and Husso. Uh, tell us about your food and and what you're cooking there. So yeah, Marky's Caviar is a ca- uh, caviar company since 1983, and um, they're looking for a chef that can work with caviar. And so, you know, at the time I just finished Lev Madsen Park and I thought, you know, what a what an opportunity to work with such a luxurious ingredient. So a lot of the uh, food that I do is all to be complemented by the caviar. It has to work in coordinates with um, different, different flavors of the robe, um, the pearls, the size, the texture. Uh, you can go f- something simple from a really just simple, plain scrambled eggs um, with Kaluga Amber Caviar from the Moor River to something that's a little bit more fun, like a chicken, like a fried chicken oyster in an oyster shell um, with a with a with a cream cheese dressing. All right, and it can go straight into dessert. At the moment, you know we have like a a banana dessert um, that's served with a uh, Jersey milk crumu. And uh, it's finished off with a, um, a hot fudge sauce. I mean, a, a, a brown butter brown butter sauce. So it's, it's really good. It's just um, finding these classical combinations from from different inspirations. For example, the banana and caviar came from a 
cookbook that was telling me about how the royals in Russia would have mashed bananas with caviar in the morning. Wow. Yeah. So it, it really does work. Bananas, bananas and caviar, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, Huso has um, won Michelin plates two years in a row. Tell us, tell us about what you do there. So Huso at daytime is a um, – you can have small plates, caviar services at the start, um, a lot of a little bit more laid back. But at night time, we have a um, we do fourteen covers, um, up to fourteen covers, um, small dining room. I'm actually the only cook, so there's no team behind me, um, and it's an eight course caviar tasting menu. Um, everyone comes in at seven o'clock, um, and then yeah, the whole dining room is theirs for the whole night. As you know, it's very luxurious caviar in every course. Um, yeah, it's just incredible. Again, you, you know, having this concept, I found out that it really helps out a lot because this whole caviar only uh, style brought a lot of like really good foodies to come in. So um, it's doing really well. It's we're into our um, would say second year because I wouldn't count COVID year as a year. Um, it was our second year of operating, and it's doing really well. We're, we're almost book, we're booked out a month in advance, um, so it could, couldn't ask for a more, a more better response. What's it been like uh, being in New York during this time in the last year and a half, and your family on the other side of the world? Has it been challenging? Yes, yeah, so that was extremely hard. Um, my family was actually in LA when it was all going down, they were actually coming to New York to come see me and they actually had to turn around and go back, uh, back to Australia, uh, because it, that was, it was just really bad timing, but yeah, it has been an extremely difficult, um, going back to Australia is not the easiest mission to, to do, um, especially with current laws. So I really feel for all the people that are stranded outside of Australia, um, but yeah, the last the last year and a half, uh, it's definitely changed changed myself, um, my different different perspectives, outlooks, um, just uh, thought processes, and you know, it's just probably like most people in the hospitality, it's probably been the most time that they've ever had off to themselves, and you know, just it takes it takes taking some time to just reflect and and see what's really important to you. Currently in Australia, there's a discussion about restaurants opening up to vaccinated people only. Has it been an easy process in New York? And what, what do you think is it is it the only way forward for hospitality? So um, everyone, so we're already starting to do the vaccination cards in here in New York, and look, the response has been really good. Um, I I do with I deal with a low capacity style restaurant, so um, I, I don't get into those hundreds where you know you get a lot of different sort of personalities so i can't speak from that side of then but all every 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 diner that's ever came in and ate it's been a no it's been no problem at all everyone shows their vaccine card um look everything everyone's just trying to make sure everyone wants to you know go back to normal and you know if if, if showing a card just like you know showing an id card you know it should shouldn't really um it, it's not really a big, big of a deal. Uh, I would say it's, you know, it's just it, all this is to all this is in good, um, in good faith. You know, everyone is trying to just do it just to look after each other. So, um, 
so far there's been no difficulty in uh, asking people for vaccination cards in New York, um, in, in my restaurant especially. You grew up in a family restaurant and have built the most incredible career and you're, you're still so young. But what is it that you love about what you do? Um, it's, it's very hard to explain. Um, I, I just, it's, you know, when someone asks you, like, what do you like to do apart, apart from cooking? I really can't bring out a, a huge list of things that I like to do. It's It's kind of like my hobby. It's the thing that I do every day and think about every day and I'm just so lucky and fortunate to do something that I love every every minute of my life you know just being at work working long hours you know the, even even to that's even even that's fun for me the the culture in the kitchen um learning different trends and styles of food or getting inspired from other restaurants or eating out it's just everything about it it's just um it's, it's just I just love it <laughs> they can't really it's it's kind of more of an obsession so like i said you know i had no taste and smell for three days and that was that was a very dark time you new york is moving forward and the restaurants are open again um what are you most looking forward to when we move on from this period of time um so there's a there is a there is cultures that I wish that would change in this, in this hospitality industry, um, both um, diners and inside the workplace. You know, I hope that we really reflect on um, the flaws of that's, that's, that's within the hospitality industry. And hopefully this could be a reset button in not only to restaurant workers, but also to diners and just appreciate um, going out and having a meal where they didn't have to do anything and, and, and just kind of understand, you know, when they're cooking at home um, over this last year that things, things aren't cheap. You know, they're not, they're not, they're not as cheap as they used to be. Like prices go up, things, things are expensive. And, you know, one thing that um, has always been big has been wages um, within the hospitality industry and, um, there's with, with wages going up, so so does the bill at the end of the day. So, um, hopefully, hopefully we can start um, having some understanding between diner and restaurants that um, these sort of things do cost money, and uh, hopefully, there's a lot of things also to do with the restaurants in terms of equality and and also um, and also just all the little uh, dark parts of the industry that you know we just we just need to air out it just needs to be a different culture moving forward and i hope that this year could change it and make you understand and appreciate everything do you think that one day we'll see you open up a restaurant back in australia maybe at this point um (laughs) at this point i'm loving new york a lot and um at this point, I do. Um, uh, I want to see what's out here in New York before heading back. But Australia is always home. I love Australia, and I definitely would want to go back there one day. But just at this point, um, the hustle and bustle is kind of what I'm, what I've gotten used to, and what I love. So um, we'll, we'll find out in the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, Buddha, it's an absolute honour to catch up with you and hear your story on Deep in the Weeds today. Uh, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. All right. Thank you, Anthony. 
This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.